We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey guys, welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 84. If you are looking for some inspiration, listen no further than our guest today. She is the owner and CEO of arguably the top equestrian lifestyle apparel brand, Her styles are seen from miles away, and their branding and marketing is absolutely beautiful. I have had the honor of working with this brand for a couple years now, and they, to this day, are one of my favorite group of people to work with, and their clothes are amazing. So without further ado, let's hear it from our guest, owner of Aztec Diamond Equestrian, Jordan McCabe. I have been literally currently wearing Aztec Diamond as we speak. I have been such a big fan. I love riding and essentially doing anything else in your clothing. So it's been a big part of my journey with my equestrian style for sure. So I was so pumped to have you come on the podcast. Would love to hear how it kind of started from the beginning. How did you first get into the equestrian world to start? Okay, so I started riding when I was eight years old. So my parents divorced when I was younger and my dad's new partner, her family had horses and they had a riding school. So that's where I got into a question. Neither of my parents had horses. And then I was just obsessed from day one, you know, completely addicted as as most little girls are with their ponies. Um, I got my first pony when I was nine, I think it was. Um, And then I started show jumping when I was 13. So I competed all the way up through my teens until I was about 18, I think. So yeah, that that was my equestrian story before the brand. Very cool. So you were riding, you know, through your childhood and up until you're 18. What made you stop riding? I just got super busy with the brand. My horse, who was actually called Aztec Diamond, that's where the name came from. Wow. So she was my competitive horse when I was a teenager. Um, she ended up having to be put down when I was, yeah, I think I was just, just before I turned 19. And then I never ended up getting another one. Just really, I was super busy with the brand. I wasn't competing anymore. So it was kind of, I don't think it was the right time for me to, for me to go and look for a new one. I think it was a good time for me to have a break. I'll definitely pick it up again at some point. I've definitely recently been thinking a lot about it. So I think now that I'm a little bit more settled at home and the brand's kind of running itself a little bit more, it's definitely something that I'll hopefully pick up again soon. Awesome. So cool. So what brought on the initial idea of starting the clothing line? So ever since I was uh, around 10 years old, I've always been a very creative person, always loved art. And my grandma was an artist. So I think I've always been a very creative person. But ever since I was around 10, all I ever wanted to do was design equestrian clothing. So I have files and files full of drawing stuff. And when I was really young, if you know, like clothes for me and clothes for the pony. So yeah, it kind of started off from a really young age. Then when I was a teenager and I was competitively show jumping, I came from just a normal, you know, working class family. And we found it quite difficult to keep up with the upkeep of the horse and competing and being able to afford all of the the styles of, you know, the, the cool clothes that you needed to participate and kind of not be judged in in the sport, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
so that's when I realized that there was a niche in the market for this almost high street version of a technical clothing that, you know, that young girls wanted to wear because at the time it just didn't exist in the marketplace. It was either, you know, £300 for a pair of britches or mm-hmm. £50. There was kind of, there was nothing in between. So I was right. super lucky that I found that niche at the right time. And then, yeah, the, the brand just came from there. Awesome. What was the first product that you made? Uh, so the first collection that I launched was 16 pieces. So we had show shirts, three pairs of breeches. I had a hoodie, sweatpants, t-shirt and a pair of leggings. The whole ethos behind, you know, the brand from the beginning was that I wanted it to be an athleisure brand. I wanted it to bridge that gap between riding and leisure wear so you could ride your horse and go pick your children up or you could ride your horse and go to the gym you know so you didn't have to get changed to go to the shops and things like that so that that was what was in the first collection so cool what were some things that you experienced like maybe road bumps or challenges when when that first collection went out I think the the main thing to overcome was manufacturing, learning the process behind how to communicate with different cultures, how to how to produce products. I think, you know, from the outset looking in, it probably potentially doesn't look like it would be such a, a hard thing to do, but there's so many different things that you have to learn. Pattern making, how different fabrics work, how different stitches work, why you need certain washes on certain materials and things like that. So there's been a lot of a lot of learning curves and a lot of things that have needed to be learned. But yeah, I think the main thing that that learned and the main thing that I needed to overcome was communication with manufacturers and how to deal with that. Awesome. Did you ever have experience in the mainstream fashion space before launching Aztec Diamond? How did you get from point A to point B from when you finished riding to when you started the line? So I was only 17 when I launched the brand. I left school and went to college with the only one intention that I wanted to launch the brand. I didn't know how, but that that was the only thing. I never wanted to go to university. I only ever wanted to have my own business. So I did textiles and business at college for one year. And then I was lucky enough my grandma passed away when I was 17 and my mum and granddad sold their house and my mum gave me her half of the inheritance to set up the brand. So that, wow. that was how I, I was obviously, you know, super lucky, a bad situation from my grandma passing away, but I was super lucky that I was kind of given the, the opportunity to be able to leave college and, and set the business up. Wow. Amazing. Obviously this was a goal of yours from when you were a little girl. Did you ever imagine it would have grown into something that it is today? Do you know what? I get asked this quite a lot and I think that I, I think that I did. I'm, yeah. I've always had a very confident view on the brand and I think not because I'm, you know, um, cocky or in any kind of way like that. I think there was just such a big need for the brand in the marketplace and I was so lucky that there was there was a niche so the, the product that I was bringing to the marketplace it didn't exist so it was it was kind of going to be quite difficult for me to fail because I know that it, I knew that it was needed because I'd experienced it. Totally. In your original collection, were the riding leggings one of the pieces or it was just the breeches, correct? No, actually, I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but I, I was actually the first person to launch a pair of riding leggings. That's they what I was going to ask. Yeah, they weren't actually available on the market when 
um, I launched the brand and I used to sometimes ride in. It was more to do with the fact of kind of if I was doing something else and then I would go and ride kind of wearing like like a legging or like a stretchy pair of jeans type of thing. Mm-hmm. So when we launched the collection, it was that was one of the last decisions. I wasn't actually going to launch the riding leggings because, you know, we were like, they're not known in the marketplace. The brand isn't known. Should we launch a product that isn't already known? But last minute we decided that we were going to do them anyway. And yes, yeah, I mean, thank goodness that we did because they're now, as, as you know, probably one of probably the largest selling product and the marketplace. So that's like one of the proudest things I think from launching the brand yeah. is the invention of that product. Totally. Were you riding in regular um, athletic leggings before that point in time? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I was always more of a britches girl for riding, always. It's even taken me quite a while now. I think I would still put on a pair of britches over leggings to ride in, but I think that's just my personal preference. But there would be a lot of the times when I would be able to keep my horses. I used to go and look out on a morning before college and I would always, before school, and I would always just pull on a pair of leggings. That was where that came from. And yeah, I know for me and what I what I tell my community is that I used to be such classic fashion when it came to all of my equestrian apparel. And so and it was so it took me forever. But I I'm almost positive your leggings were the first riding leggings that I rode in. Oh, that's really good to hear. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, this is so smart because I am Mm -hmm. like I'm super active. I'm do always doing a million things in any given day and riding is just part of it. And I think that that really like emulates a lot of equestrian lifestyle. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of equestrians are, you know, juggling a bunch of things and running around and and getting a lot done. And so having something that I could literally wear from sun up to sundown, it was totally acceptable no matter where I was, was such a cool concept. And that to be honest, I mean, riding in them was, I didn't notice any like overall wear and tear. Like that was my biggest thing. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to ride in these three times and it's going to be like worn through. I don't know why I had that feeling, but I think just (laughs) the fabric is so different, but I... I'm fully sold on riding leggings now. I I love riding in them, especially when I have a lot going on or I'm getting a couple workouts in that day. It's it's so convenient. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at you know most sports compared to equestrian, as you would say, there's not a lot of different areas of different sports that you would need different outfits for. Whereas when you when you're riding and you're an equestrian, you're not just riding. You've got the whole other side of it. So you've got to look out. You've got to look after the horses. You've got to groom the horses. You don't really have that with a lot of other sports. You know, people don't need to look out their bikes or or anything like that. So I think it, it you know it is a it is a lifestyle. It's not just a sport. This episode is so graciously brought to you by Redding Goat Equestrian. Redding Goat Equestrian created outerwear pieces that are waterproof, breathable, and insulated in one technical piece. Yes, top and bottom in one piece. That is perfect whether you're riding in sub-zero temperatures or in a monsoon of rain. And let's be honest, I'm a Floridian and I still wear it during our Florida winters. It is amazing. They also have tons of pockets and pouches to stash your keys, your phone, spurs, you name it. And it also has a beautiful silhouette, so it doesn't look super bulky. You need to see this for yourself. So head on over to Redding Goat Equestrian. That's R-E-D-I-N-G-O-T-E equestrian.com. And you can check out for yourself. See their winter insulated gear as well as their rain gear. Also, be sure to use the code PODCAST and you'll receive a free tote with any purchase of a suit. Thanks so much, Red and Goat Equestrian. All right, let's head on back to the episode. 
So as you went from your first collection, what would you say was the overall response of that? And um, you know, it was really good. We had a big launch party, managed to get quite a few of the biggest magazines there from from the UK. And I think because I was so young at the time, it was quite easy to get, well, maybe not quite easy. It was quite, uh, people were interested in the story and what I was doing because first of all, because I was so young. And second of all, because the industry hadn't seen anything like it before. So I think it took, you know, it was quite steady for the first year and then it really just started to grow. I mean, the first three or four years, I mean, I think we doubled in revenue every single year for the first four years. So it was just, it was just crazy growth, kind of a little bit um, unmanageable at times. Not, you know, not going to lie. It does come with some, some downsides, but yeah, the, the brand couldn't have expected it to go any better than it did. It was crazy. Totally. Yeah. And at what point did you branch off into other areas of the world? So our website had always been available for worldwide shipping. And I think one of the other things is when I launched the brand, Equestrian didn't really trade online. It was all in salaries, all in stores and at horse shows. So we were kind of as well, the first brand that did the social media and the Instagram and the online sales. So within the industry, that's another reason I think why we did so well is because there was nothing like us readily available. So we were always open to worldwide. And I think my percentages of countries haven't changed hugely over the years. We sell a lot to America and Germany is another, another large one. So yeah, I think from, from the beginning, really, we've been quite a, a worldwide inclusive brand. Totally. What does kind of like a normal day look like for you? So a normal day for me, I usually wake up around quarter seven seven o'clock I'm, qu- I'm quite an early person I always have been I never have an alarm on because if I can sleep till 10 p.m I would be <laughs> but yeah I get up around then I go straight to the office I'll have my breakfast at the office then first thing on the morning I always do um, my emails then secondly when everybody usually comes into the office on a normal day when we're not in lockdown everybody comes in around nine so we have a few meetings I work with a few different people within the office to make sure everyone's okay then the rest of the day is really just spent um, a lot of the time looking at samples, working with um, different people in the office. I usually have different days set for different sections of the business. So one of the days might be where we do finance on an afternoon. One of the days I might be working with the creative team. And then usually I stay in the office till around 7, 7.30, go to the gym, come home, have dinner, go to bed and do it again. Yeah. Quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, how how big is your team now? So we have, there's 11 of us now. So we have three people that work in the warehouse and the rest of us work in the office. So we have, if I go through a few of the jobs, we have customer service, we have content creation, we have social media management, I have an office manager, we have merchandising, warehouse manager, finance. So yeah, that's that's the base of the shell. Yeah. How did you make the plunge from starting to build a team? I mean, it's definitely a scary, intimidating part of your business where you all of a sudden are, you know, like, you know, paying someone to do that. Yeah. 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 So how did that go for you? I mean, I think everything came pretty naturally to me. I'm super lucky that a lot of my team are family and friends. So as the brand's grown and we've kind of had a job for somebody, people have just kind of come along with us, which is great. So my mum's actually my business partner. So she left work a year after I started and she's 50-50 with me now. So I've got my mum. My stepdad manages the warehouse. I've got two of my best 
best friends from school work in the office. I've got one of my cousin works in the office, my auntie. So, the, you know, it's, it's a very awesome. family oriented environment. And yeah, I think I'm, one of the one of the hardest things about growing for me personally was not finding the right people because we had all of these amazing loyal staff, but was actually training them specifically in the areas because you kind of get to a point where when you've employed people because of who they are rather than what they know, it becomes a little bit difficult because nobody's got a set role. Nobody's, nobody's trained in any specific area because, you know, obviously everybody's just kind of there together. So we took last year and did, a, you know, I got um, a business mentor and we did a full restructure of the brand and trained everybody up in, in certain areas and it's been phenomenal. So yeah, we're, we're finally starting to work as a, a, a real business now, as I would call it. Yeah. Amazing. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? Oh, that's a good question. I think from a brand's perspective, if I was going to say something, probably how much influence some brands take from other brands to create products rather than being original. Hmm. Yeah, I think because it's such a small industry and, you know, for, for me personally, when you've spent so much time creating and developing products to then kind of see it full blank copy on somebody else's website, it's really quite hurtful. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's too small of an industry for people to be doing that. So I think from my perspective as a brand owner, that would be that would be my my comment on that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I feel like it doesn't really get talked about it a lot. You see it in mainstream fashion and I'm sure yeah that people might be bummed out initially but it's such a huge market that it's like okay this was bound to happen you know like and it's quite yeah. a fast-changing market that you know the normal fashion industry where a question totally. there's only so much that can be done isn't there yeah yeah it's I'm sure pushing you to really continue to come out with new product and you know do stuff differently but it's something that I have experienced a little bit with being you know one of the first equestrian bloggers when I first started there were like maybe you know two or three other people doing it consistently and now it's blown up but it's it's fun cuz we've been able to build a community off of it but when it comes to fashion and specific stuff it's like oh man like some of those designs you've probably had for years and years. Yeah, I think I, you will both probably experience it in the same way. And it's, you've got it. There's obviously two ways to look at it. You can see it as a huge compliment because you're obviously doing something right. But yeah, I think when when you're a leader or when you're the, one of the first people to do something and it is successful, there is always going to be people that you know do end up copying. So yeah, yeah. you'll probably you'll experience it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So what does your next year look like? What's down the pipeline for Aztec Diamond Equestrian? Yeah, obviously this year has been a bit of a funny year and we've taken an unexpected turn. So there's been a few delays, but um, I can't personally complain. My business is still working completely fine. But then lots of new products are all in the pipeline ready to come. We've just got a little bit of delay on production. But I think this year... You know, I just briefly mentioned before we did like a full restructure of the business last year and it's just kind of making sure that everybody slots into their place. We are going to make sure that we do run the UK and build the UK market as big as possible. Make sure we get that absolutely right. And then, yeah, properly branch out into other countries. So, yeah, I think it's just a steady, steady build from now on. So cool. Can we do a quick little run through of some of your products? Because it's something that 
I get asked about all the time. So might as well have another space for us to put all the information as far as sizing. And I think one of the biggest questions I get is sizing on your quarter zip tops. They're, they're like always one of the favorite things when I post about them. Everyone like dies over the tan color. Oh my gosh. It's like, we love the- no, we're out of stock at the moment and we're getting so many messages every day. People love that color. Yeah, but it's definitely more of a kind of like a compression look is how I like to explain it to people. So, you know, if you're comparing it to like some of your other, you know, looser fitting quarter zip riding tops. Yes, I think the way that I'm, I designed our bracelets to be is definitely like a second skin. The way that the panels are cut correctly on the correct weft of the fabric, they do, they're designed to be figure hugging. So they are, they are supposed to be quite tight. But when I think when you first put one of them on from us, if you're not used to wearing them, you would probably first of all put it on and think, wow, this is too tight. Sure. But they're not, you know, you'll, you'll know yourself from wearing them. They are super flexible. They're really comfortable. But I think I would say the sizing on them is slightly smaller just for that reason, because I think some people put them on and feel like they're a little bit tight, even though if you wore them for a little bit, they're not. But I think, yeah, I think the sizing is slightly on the smaller side if I was going to give an opinion on it but it just depends how you like to wear them I think whether you like them tight fitting or not but our standard fit is skin tight so depending on you like them depending what size you would get I have a couple tops and I think I have a couple in a small and I know I do have one in a medium and it's just like a different look like it's still it fits nicely but it does have you know more of uh, a looser fit but it's cool that you have options of like how you want to wear it yeah, I think a lot of our products, because of the the way that they are cut on the patterns, so that the way that the fabric is laid and the way that the panels are cut, they are quite flexible as in a lot of our, I can wear the extra small, small and medium in our leggings. And the same with the base layers, really. It just depends on how, how tight fitting you want them. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's ridiculous how everything is so flattering. Like, I think yeah. that's one of my favorite things. I think as a designer, what's one of the things that I spend a lot of time on when making the products is to make sure that they make you feel good and look as good as you can. But the leggings are so flat and we get so many comments on those. Do you feel like you sell more of the breeches or more of the leggings at this point? Leggings, 100%. Yeah. When we um, first launched, we've always sold a lot of leggings and I think maybe because they're a cheaper option. Sure. But at the moment, we we're in a little bit of a, a, a situation where we don't actually have any britches left in less than a size ten, and I think the whole the whole coronavirus has stopped a lot of production and a lot of development. So that's a, a little bit of a situation that we've got at the moment. But leggings, we sell so many pairs of leggings. Super grateful, but I, we just cannot buy enough. People just wow. love them, and I think the more people that buy them, the more they tell their friends, the more reviews we get, totally. the, the, the more the more sales we have. So, but yeah, they're a fantastic product. So. So awesome. Love it. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time. Huge fan. Love all of your products. I wish you all the best. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you.